Welcome to the Living Leadership Podcast. Equipping leaders to live in Christ joyfully and serve Him faithfully. This talk was recorded live at the Pastoral Refreshment Conference in 2009. The speaker is Andrew Page on Joy in Discipleship. Thank you, Marcus, and uh, good afternoon. Thank you very much for letting me come. Thank you to the organising team for inviting me. This is a very hairy experience for me. It might be hairy for you too, but it's going to be hairy for me because I know when I look at faces like this, you are leaders and It makes me feel kind of extra nervous. I once preached a sermon when John Stott was in the congregation. Yes, quite. But he was kind enough to sit right at the end of the first row. So thank you for sitting right at the end of the first row. And it would be great if you come to any of the other sessions, if you could all sit right at the end of the first row, that would be great. Um, Can we turn to Mark's Gospel, please? Can most of you see this poster? Read it. Most of you can. I apologize that it's very eccentric to have a poster. Um, I'll grow up one day. Mark chapter 6 is where we're going to begin. Our theme is leaders as disciples, and it seems to me there are two great dangers um, which uh, I'm facing in these sessions. The first danger is... um, It could be that uh, some of us think, well, Mark's Gospel again. I mean, I do know Mark's Gospel really rather well. I've led Christianity Explored 19 times in the last month and a half. Um, That's you, not me. And uh, and I've uh, maybe some of you have preached through Mark. I mean, you've read Mark. We know Mark pretty well. And it may be that the danger is we find ourselves thinking, well, you know, done this. Uh, Let's remember this is the word of God. And this is an opportunity for us to meet Jesus Christ again in his word. And I want to ask right at the beginning, Marcus has just prayed it actually, that we, that we do two things at once uh, during these sessions. That we listen to God's word, but at the same time we're worshipping Jesus. That we're talking to Jesus while we're listening. I think actually that is the, one of the great keys to preaching becoming a supernatural event. That we don't just listen, we're also talking to the Lord. Feel free to do it inside yourself. That was a joke. I forgot to bring my flashcard with joke, but I, you'll get used to it. Um, the other danger that there is attached to this is that this theme, leaders as disciples, the danger is, it seems to me, this could become more about us than it is about Jesus. Whereas actually what we all need more than anything else as leaders, however we're involved in leaders, leadership, what we need more than anything else is to look at Jesus and to listen to Jesus. However we're feeling, we need to look at Jesus, we need to listen to Jesus. It's a tragic thing if we think it's possible to graduate from being a disciple to being a leader. We never graduate from being disciples. We are always disciples of Jesus from the day he calls us to faith in him. And leaders who are not also living as disciples of Jesus are not leading people in a way that honours Jesus. So I think this is a great opportunity this week for us to meet Jesus. That's what this conference is about, pastoral refreshment. What better way to be refreshed 
than to be looking at Jesus and listening to Jesus. We've got three sessions together. At least I'm going to be here for three sessions. Dave Burke has already rather subtly suggested you don't come to the other two, but I'm not offended by that at all, Dave. I love you. Uh, the first session is called The Joy of Discipleship. The second session is called The Struggles of Discipleship. And the third session is called Growing in Discipleship. So as we look at the joy of discipleship, I just want to say the greatest joy of discipleship, discipleship is surely this. It's knowing Jesus Christ. And one of the key things that had to happen in the disciples' lives is that they had to know him and know him better. Um, it all began, well, it didn't quite begin, but it began almost there for them in chapter 1, verse 16. As Jesus walked beside the sea, he called Simon and Andrew, James and John, although they knew him for some months before that. There's another turning point for them in chapter 3, verse 13. You may want to look down at it. 3.13, Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. He appointed 12, designating them apostles. And you know why he called them to be apostles, that he called them to be apostles, that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. But you know also what the first reason is he called them? That they might be with him, chapter 3, verse 14. It's this theme again about looking at Jesus and listening to Jesus. That's what they needed more than anything else if they were going to be leaders in the future. I have a horrible feeling some people are copying this down. This is like school. Please feel free to completely ignore that at the moment. You're making me nervous. That's fine. And then there's another stage, very importantly, after the stilling of the storm. Um, chapter 4, verse 41. What do they say to one another as they pick up the oars and start to row? They say, chapter 4, verse 41. Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. They don't yet know the answer to the question, but at last they are asking the right question. He has got their attention. They are fascinated by Jesus. And actually they will never stop being fascinated by Jesus. And I'm praying for myself and for all of you, for all of us, that we will be fascinated by Jesus during this week. I confess to you that sometimes Jesus becomes for me um, an element in the evangelistic equation. I love preaching the gospel, but sometimes I catch myself talking about Jesus just as one element in the gospel. Uh, we are, we are, God is holy, we are sinners, we're under God's judgment, Jesus came and died on the cross, if we repent and believe we're saved. I mean that's all true. But I'm using Jesus just as a, an element in the evangelistic equation. Instead of being fascinated by him, I want people, when I'm talking to people who aren't yet Christians, I want people to see that I'm not just talking about a message, I'm talking about a person who I am fascinated by and whom I love because he loves me. So let's be praying that God will open our eyes up again to see how beautiful Jesus is, how wonderful Jesus is. We're going to look at two um, passages in what I call section three of Mark's Gospel. And we're going to look at these three passages here. 
the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus walks on the water, healings in Gennesaret, and then we're going to look at the last three incidents down there, the confusion of the disciples, the healing in two stages of a blind man, and Peter's confession of Jesus. Let's be praying, let's be asking that our eyes would be opened to see Jesus, to recognize Jesus more clearly. Let's look first of all at the feeding of the 5,000. So come with me to chapter 6, verse 34, please. And chapter 6, verse 34 could have been written for the beginning of a pastoral refreshment conference. I don't think it was, but it could have been. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And what's his remedy for the situation that they are feeling lost, maybe a little directionless? Interestingly, his remedy is not miracle, although he does do miracles. His miracle is teaching. So he began teaching them many things. There's power in the words of Jesus. Now, we've all thought about the feeding of the 5,000 lots of times before, probably. Why is the feeding of a large crowd so important? This is the only miracle of Jesus that's in all four Gospels. And in addition, Matthew and Mark tell us about the feeding of the 4,000. What's so important about the feeding of a large crowd of people? I think there's some Moses imagery in the background here, manna, in the desert, there's that sort of imagery going on. But I think there's another reason too, and I want to read to us from Isaiah chapter 25. If you want to turn it up, feel free, but otherwise just listen. Isaiah 25 is a prophecy in the Old Testament about what we would call heaven, what we would call the new earth. And listen how Isaiah describes that, or Isaiah through the Holy Spirit in, um, describes that. Chapter 25 of Isaiah, verse 6. On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats and the finest of wines. On this mountain, he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all peoples, the sheet that covers all nations. He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces, he will remove the disgrace of his people from all the earth. The Lord has spoken. Verse 6, it says, On this mountain the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples. And the Jews in the first century described that as the messianic banquet. And now here is Jesus feeding 5,000 people with five loaves and two fishes. This is clearly not the messianic banquet. It's only bread and fish. But I think there are people there thinking, is this a preview? Is this telling us something about who Jesus is? In John's Gospel, when he tells this uh, story of the feeding of the 5,000, he also tells us that the people tried to force Jesus to become a king. I think some of them were thinking of Isaiah 25. So here is Jesus, and they're confronted, he and the disciples, confronted by this huge crowd of people. And I love the way the disciples are painted in Mark's Gospel. I think of all four Gospels, it's in Mark that it's clearest how slow and thick and dull and dim the disciples are, as opposed to us today, of course. 
Because, of course, what do they do? They say to Jesus, um, we've got a problem here, Jesus, 5,000 hungry people. But don't, don't worry, Jesus, we have a solution. You send them home and they buy themselves something to eat. Problem solved. And I think they're genuinely expecting Jesus to say, oh, thank you, you guys. Where would I be without you? Thank you for rescuing me. Does that ring a bell? How often do I try and solve Jesus' problems for him? I tell him what he ought to do to solve a problem. Now, we know this story very well, but just look at some of the details with it, uh, of it uh, with me. Jesus says to them in verse 37, you give them something to eat. In other words, he is deliberately bringing them into a situation which is too big for them. He is deliberately bringing them into a situation where they cannot cope. Then he says, go and see what you've got. And when they found out, verse 38, they said, five loaves and two fish. In other words, this is an impossible situation. Jesus, it seems to me, specializes in bringing his disciples into situations which are too big for them. And my guess is that all of us who are in this room can think of when he's done that in our lives. We may even be there now. Or we can think back to some situation where we were over our heads and we just did not know how to cope. And in that experience, we came to know Jesus better. He revealed himself to us again. And that's what's happening here. I love the way Jesus doesn't feed the crowd. He gives the food to the disciples and they feed the crowd. And then at the end of and verse 42, we read, they all ate and were satisfied and the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The people are full. The word is full. They can't eat anymore. This is an extraordinary miracle. And at the end, they pick up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. When I invite people for a meal, there is less food at the end of the evening than there was at the beginning. With Jesus, it's the other way round. Let's worship him in our hearts now. Let's be talking to him. So great is Jesus. And whatever else this miracle tells us about Jesus, it tells us that he's the Messiah. He is the host at the Messianic banquet, at this preview of the Messianic banquet. He is the Messiah. Come on with me to Jesus walking on the water. Immediately, verse 45, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. After leaving them, he went up on a mountainside to pray. Mark doesn't tell us what Jesus was praying on the mountain. Maybe he was praying about the temptation that there was because the crowd had wanted to make him political king. But I'm pretty sure he's also praying that the eyes of the disciples would be opened. That they would see more clearly who he is. This is an unusual miracle. Jesus walks on the water. It's I, almost the only miracle in Mark's gospel, which is only for the benefit of the disciples. 
nearly all the other miracles, they are watching while Jesus helps other people. This is for them. Because Jesus wants to open their eyes to see who he is. The disciples are straining at the oars, verse 48, because the wind is against them. Here, it's not a storm, but there's a strong wind. They're in a situation again where, where it's difficult. They're struggling. And Jesus sees them struggling as he sees us when we struggle. And he comes to them. Now look at this. We've seen it before, but let's look at it. Let's let it speak to us again. Verse 48, about the fourth watch of the night, he went out to them walking on the lake. Who can do that? Verse 50, immediately he spoke to them and said, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Verse 51, he climbed into the boat with them and the wind died down. The wind has gone. Who can do that? And when he, before he gets in the boat, when he says, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid, it is I, in the Greek is I am. He's using the name of God, Yahweh. He's saying, I am, to the disciples. And there's another phrase to look at which moves me, and that's the phrase at the end of verse 48, which some of the translations struggle with and some of the commentaries do too. About the fourth watch of the night, he went out to them walking on the lake. He was about to pass by them. Now the Greek says he wanted to pass by them. Very odd expression. And I think that that pass by, I can't remember where I read this, but I read it somewhere is a reference to Exodus chapter 33 and 34. And this is bringing us onto very holy ground. So I invite you to come with me. You don't need to look it up, but I invite you to come with me to Exodus 33 and 34. This is Moses begging God for a new revelation of his glory. This is Moses saying, I don't want to know you at arm's length. I want to know you intimately. Exodus 33, verse 18, Moses said, now show me your glory. Verse 19, and the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass by in front of you. Now, in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, it's the same word there as it is in Mark 6, 48. I will cause all my goodness to pass by in front of you, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, Yahweh, four capital, four capital letters, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. Then the Lord said, there is a place near me where you may stand on a rock. When my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft in the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. And then in chapter 34, it happens. Verse 5. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with Moses 
and proclaimed his name, the Lord, Yahweh. And he passed by in front of Moses, proclaiming the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God. And in Mark 6, we have Jesus wanting to pass by. Pass by is a phrase being used here in Exodus and also in Mark to say to reveal the Godness of God. Jesus wants to reveal to his disciples that he's not only the Messiah, he is God himself. He wants to pass by, he wants them to see who he is. And when he comes up to the boat, he says to them, Take courage, I am Yahweh. He proclaims the name of the Lord because he is the Lord. And the disciples don't get it. They are very slow. This is very comforting. The end of verse 51, I'm back in Mark 6. They were completely amazed for they had not understood about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. They didn't understand what was going on. Let me read to you from Job chapter 9. This is Job speaking. Job chapter 9 verse 8, talking about God. He alone stretches out the heavens and treads on the waves of the sea. Only God can tread on the waves of the sea. And then three verses later, when he passes by, I cannot see him. When he goes by, I cannot perceive him. That's the disciples. Jesus is passing by, revealing his godness, but they don't get it yet. We need to pray for ourselves and pray for one another that we will see Jesus more clearly. We know these answers in our heads. We've explained them to other people, that he's the Messiah, that he's God himself. But we need to pray that we will really experience that more and more deeply, don't we? Christianity is not just about the evangelistic equation, is it? It's about knowing Jesus. And Jesus is coming up at the beginning of our conference to our boat and saying to us, take courage, I am. Let's worship him. Now we're going to come back later to verses 53 to 56. I think they belong together, these three incidents. I forgot to say these three incidents here, feeding of the 5,000, Jesus walks on the water, healings in Gennesaret. These are three encounters with Jews. And the three um, incidents at the, at the end of block B here, Jesus and the Syrophoenician woman, Jesus heals a deaf and dumb man and feeding of the 4,000 are three encounters with Gentiles. So these three incidents... Feeding of the 5,000, Jesus walks on the water, healing is in Gennesaret. They belong together. But now we're going to move down to chapter 8, verses 14 to 30. 
But let's put this in its uh, context. In chapter 7, Jesus has had the confrontation with the Jewish leaders, and then he's had these encounters with Gentile people, and the last one has been the feeding of the 4,000. And I love the way the feeding of the 4,000 is kind of different from the feeding of the 5,000. Feeding of the 5,000, it's the disciples who who grasp the initiative. Jesus, we have a problem, but here's the solution. Feeding of the 4,000, it's Jesus who grasps the initiative. He says to the disciples, uh, disciples, we have a problem here. 4,000 people, they're hungry, they've been here three days. If I send them home now, some of them may not make it. So we have a problem. And he's waiting for the disciples to say, no problem, Jesus. You fed the 5,000. You're the Messiah. You walked on the water. You're God. But instead they say, well, where are we going to get enough food for all these people? How often has Jesus helped me in a really tough situation in my life? And I'm amazed. And then sometime later, I come into a situation which is very similar, and I panic. Because I've forgotten. Because I'm not seeing clearly who Jesus is. So after that, the Pharisees demand a sign, and Jesus sends them packing. And then we get this amazing incident of the confusion of the disciples. They're in the boat in chapter 8, verse 14. I think chapter 8, verse 14 is a Mark joke. I think there are a few jokes in Mark's Gospel. I think this is a Mark joke, but please put me right afterwards. Um, It says here, the disciples had forgotten to bring bread except for one loaf they had with them in the boat. Now, I think that's a joke because of verse 16. Because after Jesus has said, watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod, Mark writes, they discussed this with one another and said, it is because we have no bread. They don't say it's because we only have one loaf. They don't have any bread in the boat. And yet Mark says, except for one loaf, they have with them in the boat. Now, you may say this is pushing things too much. I can really live with it if you think I'm reading things in here. I think the one loaf that they have in the boat with them is Jesus. sense the scepticism in the room. (laughs) I really don't care. But I think it's wonderful. I think Mark knows, of course Mark knows, uh, what Jesus is going to say in John chapter 6, I am the bread of life. But um, the important thing here now is that how slow the disciples are. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and the yeast of Herod, and the disciples are talking about who forgot the bread. They are incredibly slow. And then Jesus says, I'll read it because it's so strong. Jesus is obviously so frustrated. Jesus asked them, why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see and ears but fail to hear? And don't you remember when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? The 12, they replied. And when I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? seven. He said to them, do you still not understand? They are incredibly slow. You see, they know the right answers. They should be saying, well, 12 and then seven. 
That means you're the Messiah, you're the Lord. How so slow. I'm amazed at the patience of Jesus. In some ways, I wouldn't be surprised if Jesus had said in verse 21, at the end of this oral exam, look, we'll row to the shore, you go back to your jobs, I've obviously got the wrong guys, I'll choose 12 others. But he doesn't, he's incredibly patient. And if you want proof that Jesus is incredibly patient, look at the person sitting next to you. Or look in a mirror. He is incredibly patient, but also incredibly determined to help them to grow as disciples. Then we come to this strange story of the healing of a blind man in two stages. And it is very weird. And I don't know why Jesus healed this blind man in two stages. I can imagine why Matthew and Luke and John didn't recount the story of the healing of the blind man in two stages. Because this is a story you could easily misunderstand. And a skeptic could read this and say, oh, your Jesus wasn't always so powerful, was he? But I want to suggest why Mark is telling us this story, of course, because it really happened like this. But I think it's in the middle of a Mark sandwich. You know, Mark likes to tell a story and another story, and in the middle he puts something that, that fits. So the filling of the sandwich always has something to do with the bread. This S down here means sandwich. It's a blindness sandwich. The blind man in verses 22 to 26, he is not healed immediately. It's a process. Okay, it's gradually he sees more. First of all, I can see people, but they look like trees. And then verse 25, his eyes were opened, his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. And I think Mark wants us to see that spiritual eyesight doesn't come immediately in one moment. It's a process. Because the issue of blindness is there in verses 14 to 21. Did you notice in verse 18, Jesus says, do you have eyes but fail to see? You've got eyes, but you're not seeing what's in front of you. They're blind spiritually. And then when we come on to the next incident, Peter's confession, we have Peter speaking on behalf of all the disciples, because in verse 29, but what about you? Who do you say I am? Those are plural yous. Jesus is talking to all the disciples. And Peter says on behalf of all of them, you're the Messiah. Now, Matthew will tell us that the reason Peter and the disciples can see that is because God has revealed it. Mark is showing us the reason why Peter and the disciples recognize that Jesus is the Messiah is that Jesus has been putting his hands on their spiritual eyes. It's a process. 
You probably didn't come from atheism to full faith in Jesus in five seconds. There was a process in all our lives when we began to understand more, when we began to want to know more, when we began to read the Bible, when we began to go to church, when we began to talk to other Christians, whatever. There was a process, wasn't there? And all the time Jesus was putting his hands on our eyes. Now, that process didn't begin in Mark's Gospel in at chapter 8, verse 14. It happened, it started at chapter 1, verse 16. And the process doesn't stop in chapter 8, verse 30. Because although they've understood that Jesus is the Messiah, they haven't yet understood what kind of Messiah he's going to be. That's why the next incident from chapter 8, verse 31 onwards is going to be such a devastating shock. But I think it's very moving, this idea that Jesus is putting his hands on their eyes so they can see more clearly. And we need to pray for ourselves and for one another that Jesus will do that for us. I, we know the right answers to lots of questions. And that's great. We can explain them to other people. But are we really, how, how, how deeply do we experience and know and recognize Jesus. I want to love him more. So I want to ask him to put his hands on my eyes so that I will see him more clearly. And it seems to me a conference like this, a couple of days away together, is a fantastic opportunity for that. The greatest joy of discipleship is knowing Jesus. And knowing that it's not just about what's happening up here, it's what's happening down here and in my whole life. It's about knowing him better, loving him more, seeing him more clearly. And that's what you want. It's one reason you're here. Of course you came to meet other people, but you also came to meet Jesus. Just before we finish, come back with me to the last incident in chapter 6. That's chapter 6, verse 53 to 56, which is often kind of overlooked. The NIV doesn't give it a heading of its own, but it's a new incident. Let me read it to you. Chapter 6, verse 53. When they had crossed over, they landed at Gennesaret and anchored there. As soon as they got out of the boat, people recognized Jesus. They ran throughout that whole region and carried the sick on mats to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he went, into villages, towns or countryside, they placed the sick in the marketplaces. They begged him to let them touch even the edge of his cloak. And all who touched him were healed. Now this idea of people touching Jesus or Jesus touching them is quite a big theme in Mark's Gospel. Just come with me um, for a moment to chapter 1. And verse 41, this is the leper who's come up to Jesus. Chapter 1, verse 41, filled with compassion, Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately the leprosy left him and he was cured. 
But it's not always that way round. Have a look at chapter 3, verse 10. For Jesus had healed many so that those with diseases were pushing forward to touch him. And then we all know the story in chapter 5, verse 27. This woman with the bleeding. She'd been subject to bleeding for 12 years. Chapter 5, verse 27. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. And now in chapter 6, we have these three incidents where Mark is saying to us, Jesus is the Messiah. He fed the 5,000. Jesus is God himself. He walked on the water. Now, how are we going to respond? Let's imitate the people in Gennesaret and reach out our hands and touch him. We can't do it physically, but we can do it in faith. I think it's like, I mean, if, if it's true that Mark heard Peter preach the gospel in Rome, and uh, Mark was kind of Peter's sidekick, and Peter was preaching these stories, and Mark was learning these stories because he wasn't an eyewitness to most of the gospel then it could be that this was even a Peter sermon. The feeding of the 5,000, Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus walks on the water. He is God himself. Healings in Gennesaret, well, will you reach out and touch Jesus? And whatever we need at the beginning of this conference, we can come and we can ask Jesus. He will make the decision how he answers our prayers. He won't do everything we ask him to do. He is the Lord. He knows what is best for us and what is best for his own glory. But he invites us to reach out our hands and to touch him. The greatest joy of being a disciple is to know Jesus. Thank you for listening to the Living Leadership Podcast. We hope what you've heard today spurs you on in your walk with the Lord. If you're encouraged by today's episode, consider sharing it with a friend or colleague or leaving a review on your podcast app to help others find us. If you'd like to engage further with us on anything you've heard today, we'd love to hear from you. You'll find us on any major social media platform at Living Leaders or visit our website, www.livingleadership.org, where you'll also find more support and resources to help you live in Christ joyfully and serve him faithfully. God bless.